Welcome to the Breathe Easy Critical Perspective Podcast. My name is Dominique Pepper, and in this podcast, we interview leaders and experts in critical care. And for today, we discuss peri-intubation cardiovascular collapse in patients who are critically ill. Okay, thank you, Dominique. I am um, uh, Vincenzo Russotto. I am an assistant professor of uh, anesthesia and critical care at University Hospital San Luigi Gonzaga in Turin, Italy. Um, my main research topics are uh, ventilation, airway management for sure in critical ill patients, ventilation and sepsis. Uh, and uh, my name is John Laffey. I'm a clinician scientist and professor of anesthesia and intensive care medicine at the University of Galway in Ireland. Uh, my research interests are in, in critical care medicine, particularly uh, acute respiratory distress syndrome and sepsis. And it's a pleasure to have both of you on the podcast with us today. We'll be discussing a paper that appeared in the Blue Journal. Um, it was, it was um, entitled Peri-Intubation Cardiovascular Collapse in Patients Who Are Critically Ill, Insights from the Intube Study. So, John, maybe you could kick us off. Um, you researched peri-intubation events in the critically ill. Why is this so, such an important topic and why do we need to understand it? Uh, it's an important topic because uh, these patients are at very high risk. Um, they're critically ill, uh, and so they're physiologically unstable. Um, but we haven't understood the risk terribly well up until now. And in fact, prior studies uh, of uh, tracheal intubation in, in these populations and in the perioperative population have generally focused on patients with an anatomically difficult airway. Um, however, it's the risk to these patients is actually physiologic. And that's why the term, the physiologically difficult airway has been coined to describe them. And what we found uh, in, in the study was that um, we expected a significant complication rate, but not maybe as high as we saw, which was that for over 45% of the patients in our cohort had at least one major complication, that is cardiovascular instability or collapse, severe hypoxia or cardiac arrest. So it's extremely important to, to understand you know, why this is happening uh, uh, with a view to trying to determine how we might minimize the risk to these patients. Definitely. Uh, we want to make sure that when we perform these uh, intubation procedures that we aren't harming patients. So, Vincenzo, um, this is a secondary analysis of a previous study. Uh, what was the rationale for the study and what were your study methods? Um, so, thank, thank you, John Dominic, for this uh, question. Well, um, the rationale is, um, as John said, uh, comes from the high incidence of uh, peri-intubation adverse events. Um, this is a completely different settings compared to the anesthesia, and several factors may play a role for this uh, complication. First of all, the underlying physiology alterations such as shock, respiratory failure, or acidosis, but also the location or the operator expertise may play a role. Uh, in the previous paper that uh, we published last year in JAMA, um, we found uh, a high incidence of adverse events, um, but uh, we, for the first time, identified cardiovascular collapse as the leading complication. 
uh, in um, uh, in critically ill patients undergoing intubation, followed by uh, hypoxemia and uh, cardiac arrest. Um, so these patients had uh, bought a higher uh, ICU at 20 day 28 day mortality. So um, these are meaningful events, although they may happen uh, for a short period during the perintubation period. Um, and so they may have they may be associated with a high morbidity and uh, uh, mortality. So in our in our um, uh, in tube study we. Uh, prospectively collected data on almost uh, 3,000 patients um, from uh, 200 centers in uh, 29 different countries worldwide. So we had a, a truly uh, representative picture of what happens around the globe on uh, on uh, highway management um, with different also level of care and protocols. Um, and this probably had the advantage of uh, um, taking a, a, a a true real life picture outside the uh, randomized trial that uh, are uh, fully controlled and probably uh, are not representative of real life. Um, uh, so uh, this is a secondary analysis and uh, um, we applied in this case uh, um, uh, a method that is called inverse probability of treatment weighting in order to uh, identify the single contribution, for example, of, of uh, relevant uh, interventions such as uh, vasopressors, fluids, or the induction agents in order to identify the uh, the, uh, the independent contribution of these factors on the incidence of uh, of uh, cardiovascular collapse uh, in order to identify also modifiable variables that may eventually mo mitigate these uh, high risk of complications. What we found was that, um, you know, we confirmed uh, in this analysis, you know, that uh, over 40% of our patients had uh, cardiovascular instability or collapse peri-intubation. And what we looked at were the factors uh, that uh, you know that were associated, and we were particularly interested, as Vincenzo said, in in potentially modifiable factors, as as one might expect, you know, older age or higher heart rate and lower blood pressure, or worse oxygenation. They were all factors associated, but the the key factor that's potentially modifiable here that was identified was the use of propofol as an induction agent, uh, and so you know the, these patients, uh, you know, that opens up you know, a, a, an avenue of investigation for us, uh, which is to to look at ways, uh, you know, of, of performing uh, peri-intubation peri, uh, in these very unstable patients uh, in ways that reduces this risk. So, John, uh, that's a very important finding, uh, that uh, the use of propofol was the only factor independently associated with cardiovascular collapse. Maybe you could explain to our audience how it is that propofol would be doing this, and why aren't other agents that um, uh, clinicians are using, such as etomidate or uh, other um, agents, causing this? So, propofol is is, is an agent uh, which is excellent at giving uh, good quality conditions for tracheal intubation, uh, and it's the most widely used drug uh, in, in the anesthesia, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, in the operating room, uh, perioperatively, and so there's great familiarity with, with the medication. Uh, and uh, there has been a focus, I guess, on the, on the anatomically more difficult uh, airway, uh, and, and uh, for those reasons, I think, so familiarity with the drug 
uh, it's it, it's producing good intubating conditions uh, accounts for why it's so widely used. Um, however, we've always known at some level that uh, propofol really ablates the sympathetic response. And so in a critically ill patient that is really dependent on their sympathetic drive uh, to maintain hemodynamic stability, uh, ablating that or s- severely affecting it uh, with a drug like propofol uh, does place you at risk of, of, of cardiovascular instability. What we didn't really know was just how uh, how what, how big an impact uh, that was in the real world, which is what this study shows us. Yeah, I think that's a really important take-home message for our audience that folks who have been managed in the anesthesia suite are sometimes very difficult from those uh, in the critical care um, uh, setting. Um, and then you also looked at whether you could give vasopressors or fluid boluses to mitigate the effect of uh, uh, these drugs causing cardiovascular collapse. Vincenzo, what did you find? Yes, we uh, tried to um, assess the rule um, uh, during the perintubation period, but um, for sure, uh, the major finding is that uh, perintubation physiology has a major rule. So, um, uh, the uh, even also a mild uh, perintubation hypotension or a mild tachycardia may be associated with a high incidence of, uh, of post-intubation cardiovascular collapse. So the major uh, message is also that perhaps clinicians may consider to um, postpone a little bit the intubation in order to optimize uh, these parameters, which are also independently associated with uh, cardiovascular collapse. What we uh, noticed that is that uh, uh, even after applying uh, 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 the adjustments for for uh, covariates that may play a role, and uh, for sure this is an observational study, we cannot make any inference on uh, cause-effect relationship. But uh, uh, from our data, it seems that. Uh, pre-intubation fluid administration or uh, vasopressors probably are not so effective. We already have data on that from the the recently published uh, prepared trials that also uh, identified the the lack of benefits of fluids to to optimize hemodynamics. But um, here the message is that probably uh, we need personalization of care. We we want we we I am not saying that fluids are not effective. Probably in many patients are still effective, but um, for sure the the two main messages are. Uh, the pre-intubation, the importance of the pre-intubation physiology optimization, especially of hemodynamic variability, and uh, um, if possible, to uh, the, the the consideration of alternatives to propofol uh, in order to to avoid the detrimental effects of uh, propofol on um, on hemodynamics. Well, one interesting component of this was um, your definition of cardiovascular collapse included a new vasopressor requirement or fluid administration. Um, So how did you tease out um, this finding that uh, administering vasopressors or fluid boluses did not reduce the incidence of cardiovascular collapse? Because that's a question that the audience may have. Uh, John? Um, So I might let Vincenzo answer that, if that's okay. Okay, Vincenzo? Yeah. 
Well, uh, the, um, uh, the, the, one important findings uh, of uh, our study is that um, we have we collected per intubation uh, details of hemodynamics. So uh, another interesting point is that um, the higher the baseline systolic blood pressure, the higher was the drop of systolic blood pressure after uh, intubation. So as John previously explained it, perhaps these patients uh, have a high um, sympathetic drive and uh, after induction, these sympathetic drives, uh, blunting may cause cardiovascular collapse. Also the transition from uh, negative uh, pressure on spontaneous ventilation to positive pressure ventilation may have a rule. Uh, but another important finding is that um, uh, also in patients where the hemodynamics uh, are maintained within a normal range uh, through the use of vasopressor, we observed a higher increase of mortality in the ICU. So um, it is true that uh, the inclusion of uh, vasopressor administration may, may be considered a limitation of our definition of cardiovascular collapse, but vasopressor uh, are uh, commonly used in uh, in uh, critically ill patients, and there is not uh, a, a, a universally accepted definition of perintubation cardiovascular uh, collapse. Um, we, we try to adapt this definition because in real life, uh, clinicians uh, react to uh, hemodynamic collapse with vasopressor. So uh, it was impossible uh, to uh, not include uh, also this component uh, in the definition of uh, perintubation cardiovascular collapse. Yeah. And then you raised the important question, Vincenzo, of um, if propofol is uh, an independent, uh, uh, um, independently associated with cardiovascular collapse during intubation, um, what other agents should clinicians be considering? Um, some have raised concerns that etomidate causes adrenal uh, suppression. Um, so based on your findings uh, that propofol is independently associated, what would you uh, use in the future going forward when intubating these critically ill patients? Well, uh, to me, uh, uh, well, we, we, in our center, but also in many other centers around the globe, probably ketamine may be considered a, a good option. For sure, these are not perfect drugs. I fully understand that uh, probably, as John um, explained it, the reliability of uh, of propofol uh, is um, is uh, in terms of uh, quality of induction and uh, hypnosis is probably um, the, the best. But uh, for sure, uh, given this high burden of complication, uh, at least in uh, we should consider for sure alternatives. Uh, there are many trials comparing etomidate against ketamine with um, different results. Um, I, I will suggest that uh, for sure ketamine uh, may be considered a, a good option. Um, etomidate uh, for sure has the limitations of uh, uh, put of uh, of uh, being probably uh, um, uh, not so good in septic patients for for the effect on uh, 
on uh, suppression of adrenal access, but um, for sure, uh, I, I think that in critically ill, probably they go, they they do a good job, and uh, and the ketamine and the tomidate are probably uh, equally effective. Although probably the evidence supports a little bit more ketamine. And just to John, add, would you suggest? Yeah. Uh, Go ahead, John. I think one of the things to to point out is that you know propofol in our in 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 this in this cohort was often used in combination with other drugs, uh, and uh, and so people probably trying to mitigate um, you know in their practice uh, sort of these effects, but we didn't see a clear dose response uh, in terms of if propofol was used, um, it it was associated with cardiovascular collapse. Uh, and I think, you know, what we would be sort of advocating is that, you know, the biggest risk to a critically ill patient is not that you won't successfully intubate them. It is that they will have a, a severe cardiovascular instability event. And we've shown that this translates into an increased risk of mortality, ICU and hospital mortality. So we, we would be urging people to shift their focus when they're intubating a, a very sick patient from can I get this tube in to, you know, what is the you know most stable way to facilitate and achieve uh, tracheal intubation? Uh, and whether that's, you know, ketamine or etomidate, it, you know, some of that will be, you know, whatever people are most familiar with locally. Um, the data in regard to etomidate is much more to do with long-term use of etomidate than single use for tracheal intubation. Uh, and so it probably, you know, needs to be re-looked at uh, in, in terms of, and, 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 you know, that we, we need to sort of think about using that as, as a drug to facilitate intubation. And then in terms of the effects, you mentioned them, John, um, some clinicians will prescribe etomidate and be on the lookout for adrenal insufficiency and order hydrocortisone if necessary. Uh, with ketamine, uh, what do clinicians need to be aware of if they're intubating? Uh, because every drug at the wrong dose ends up becoming a poison. So uh, what side effects should they be aware of? Well, ketamine is a good drug to maintain sympathetic uh, um, tone, uh, and uh, but it uh, you know in it it can produce a dissociative state patients. Now, again, in a critically ill patient like this, that maybe less of, less of a concern, and you have to balance that. Um, you can get hypertension, uh, uh, you know, so you you may not you you may have to deal with with uh, you know uh, sort of hypertension tachycardia after intubation, and your intubation conditions you know probably won't be as good, uh, uh, they won't be as optimal as you might get with um, in terms of the airway uh, as you might get with propofol. And then this was an observational study. Um, so there's always um, variables that may not have been factored in your analysis. Um, the obvious one that cl the clinicians may be asking about is the effect of PEEP. Um, did PEEP, uh, excessive high PEEP, uh, play a role in causing hypotension? Uh, can you comment on that and any other variables that you think future studies should include um, when determining uh, the risk of cardiovascular instability? Any yes. Uh, yes. Thank you, Dominic. Well, uh, for sure, um, uh, at the beginning of our analysis, we did a univariate analysis to assess if uh, other variables um, uh, had a rule. Um, we did not identify um, a rule of PIP, but um, uh, to be honest, our our study was not 
um, uh, tailor it to to get that answer because we simply collected um, uh, uh, a single variable of a positive and respiratory pressure after intubation, um, but uh, not uh, other uh, ventilation parameters uh, during the perintubation period. So. Um, uh, for sure, I think that um, a positive pressure ventilation after intubation uh, may have a rule. We uh, we don't have data on that, and uh, uh, some guidelines suggest in um, very hypoxic and critically patients the awake intubation in order to avoid both the uh, the need for induction and uh, the maintenance of uh, spontaneous ventilation. But um, this is a very a very uh, an, an intervention that only really expert and skilled operator may uh, may perform. So um, other variables uh, are for sure the, um, the perintubation use of uh, uh, vasopressors because uh, uh, from our study, we uh, did not observe um, an effect of vasopressors, but um, uh, this, this is simply an observational study. What we want to do uh, is now to assess if, for example, a preemptive infusion of uh, noradrenaline may mitigate the incidence of uh, post-intubation cardiovascular collapse. And uh, we are working now on that with a randomized trial that is called uh, prevention trial. Um, uh, both me and John are uh, investigators and uh, of this trial that we uh, hope to, uh, to to involve many centers and uh, to get an answer on, on that because perhaps um, if uh, fluids uh, are not so useful in a general ICU population, perhaps uh, vasopressor uh, administered not as a reaction, but as a prevention or a, a preemptive administration uh, may mitigate the uh, detrimental effects of uh, propofol or of the transition from spontaneous ventilation to positive pressure ventilation. So we hope to get an answer from, from, that, from that trial. Yeah, that would be a very interesting trial. Um, and uh, maybe, John, you could tell us uh, which agents you're looking at. Uh, we've definitely seen some clinicians administer half a milligram or a full milligram of epinephrine prior to intubating patients who they knew would collapse once they uh, received their drug. So what are your uh, preemptive um, uh, strategy? So our, our plan, uh, Dominique, is to uh, is to use noradrenaline or uh, norepinephrine uh, and uh, uh, we would dose it based on the systolic blood pressure um, prior to intubation. So we, we would recommend different rates of infusion uh, for a, a period of, um, uh, I think we said, uh, do we say eight minutes? Eight, I can't eight, remember. Eight, 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 eight minutes. minutes prior so to, to, for, to allow you know, uh, levels to, to build up because this would be through a peripheral uh, cannula infusion. Uh, and, and then, and the dosing will be, uh, will be varied based on pressure. And so even if your pressure is, is, is in the normal range, we would have it hooked up and ready to go, but not infusing. And then, uh, and then, uh, then the rate is increased based on, uh, uh the, the, the systolic blood pressure. So we've, we tried to make it a reasonably simple study, uh, that, that should be, um, you know, uh, uh, 
reasonably straightforward to do in this situation. These are very challenging patients to manage, of course, and that's why it's so hard to study this patient population. Um, but by going with a single drug and with a very simple uh, infusion regimen, we're hoping that it'll be feasible and we're going to do a, a little pilot study to, to ensure that. And there's, so you mentioned you'd be doing an infusion. Um, there's someone who would um, recommend a push-dose presser. Uh, would you be able to investigate that or would that be work for other researchers? We haven't incorporated that into the design of this study. Um, uh, you know, I think um, in order to try to keep it, um, uh, you know, as, as as simple as possible, if you like, we we've kept it as an infusion. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, well, I really appreciate you both uh, taking the time to discuss this really important paper um, that you all um, published uh, in the, the Blue Journal. Um, I do want to give each of you a chance to leave our audience with any concluding remarks or any uh, words of uh, advice and wisdom. I'll start off with John and then uh, Vincenzo. John? Uh, thanks very much, Dominique, and we really appreciate the um, the opportunity to discuss the study. Um, so, in in terms of sort of a, you know a final thoughts, I, I mean, what what we would say is that you know we really do need to pay attention to the risk of cardiovascular collapse in patients who are critically ill and who require to be invasively ventilated. And that we need to change our focus from you know, successfully intubating those patients, which is of course important, uh, to also incorporate into your strategy uh, approaches that reduce the risk of these patients uh, becoming severely hypotensive or even having a cardiac arrest after intubation. And that may involve uh, you know, uh, sort of taking the time to opt taking a little bit more time to optimize the cardiovascular state of the patient, whether that's with a presser or with fluids, and to think very carefully about the agents that you're going to use uh, to facilitate tracheal intubation. And John, based on what you're telling me, this isn't a call for all clinicians to move away from propofol exclusively. This is just a call for clinicians to pay attention to the agent that they're using. Is that correct? Yes, yes, uh, Dominique. And, and, to, and to think, you know, uh, you know about... The, that the higher risk in most of these patients by, by some distance is the risk of cardiovascular collapse. And, and to have that maybe as your primary concern when you're thinking about putting one of these patients uh, uh, on invasive ventilation. Okay, gotcha. And then Vincenzo? Yeah, I, I would add also that uh, uh, the avoidance of propofol uh, should be considered not only in patients that are already in shock, because in that case is uh, quite easy to to uh, as choice. But uh, since we observed that um, uh, also in patients with uh, quite good hemodynamics at baseline, we observe a high drop of uh, systolic blood pressure. Uh, this may be considered also. Uh, in a wider range of population, because we we uh, also, for example, if we consider a patient with respiratory failure, uh, we may have uh, at the beginning a good hemodynamics, but as John said, this is uh, simply the results of an adrenergic response, and uh, we may experience a really severe cardiovascular collapse even in those patients with uh, good hemodynamics at baseline. Uh, so the main message is probably that um, hemodynamics should be more considered at the bedside, also has research, as we discussed, for, for future trials. And uh, uh, we the clinician may consider to, uh, to take a little bit of time, not only for uh, 
pre-oxygenation and to to optimize pre-intubation uh, oxygenation condition that probably are uh, was the focus of our research during last years, but we we probably uh, overlooked the importance of hemodynamics. So. Uh, while we pre-oxygenate our patients, we, we may consider if, if there is space for, for hemodynamic optimization or, or to uh, adapt preemptive methods to, to avoid the post-intubation cardiovascular collapse. And finally, uh, there, there is, a, uh, as a, we discussed, uh, the possibility to consider alternatives to, to propofol in order to, uh, to mitigate this uh, pre-intubation morbidity and mortality. Well, thank you very much, Vincenzo and John. Really appreciate chatting with you. And I think you've given us a, a lot to think about in terms of making sure that our patients who are critically ill uh, survive their intubation um, and have uh, good outcomes. Um, you both take care and wish you both uh, all the best for your future research. Take care. A big thank you to Dr. Rosado and Laffey. And a big thank you to all of you for listening to the Breathe Easy Critical Perspective podcast. I'm Dominic Pepper for the American Thoracic Society.